Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. Hello, this is Andrea Schwartz with Homeschooling Helps, and today we're going to tackle what I consider an interesting topic, and I have with me my co-host, Nancy Wilk. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Andrea. So this was a topic you wanted to cover, so I'll let you introduce it and give a little background as to why you thought this was something that we should deal with. Sure. Um, I had a Facebook post come across my feed last week or so and the topic was about a nine-year-old child who because of bullying at his school that he became suicidal and the parents you know tried to work with the school and help him you know establish a safe place and bring it to the school's attention and They didn't really get good resolution on that. And so this Facebook feed was about the parents who were going to just do whatever they had to do to protect their child from the bully. And they were going to put them in a private school. So what I wanted to talk about is how um, and if homeschool is a good solution to the bullying that that happens. So would you like to, let's, let's just jump right in, you know, okay. bullying, homeschool, etc. Okay. So let's talk about what bullying is. Okay. Bullying isn't exactly a biblical term, but it's a term that everybody's familiar with, whether they've personally experienced it, they saw a film or television about someone being bullied. The biblical term would be oppressor, the okay. wicked those who oppress others. And if you read the Psalms and if you read through the book of Proverbs, there are plenty of references to the oppressor and the oppressed. In our modern day thinking, a bully is somebody who is able to dominate others, whether physically or in other ways, by means of the fact that he's got or she's got an environment which allows it. So our first experience as parents was when my son was about six years old and it was the first summer we put him in vacation Bible school. Well, up until that point, I hadn't done a whole lot of leaving my child anywhere, but Mm -hmm. this was a church vacation Bible school. Well, he came back and asked him how his day was and he shared with me that he really tried to turn the other cheek mom like I'm supposed to. But every time I did, this kid kept taking my crayons, kept taking the ball I was playing with. And, you know, every time I said, okay, you can have it, he took more. I said, well, did you go tell the person in charge? Yes, but she told us that we need to love one another. Uh Well, that was not exactly the answer that was going to make it so it didn't happen again tomorrow. And my husband and I had a conversation and he basically brought up something that he said his father used to say to him all the time. Don't start a fight, 
but don't necessarily think you have to walk away from one. So we taught him that it isn't right for someone to do what he was doing. But because my son was a little bit sheepish in terms of, well, how, how would I actually get him to stop? That's when we decided to put our son into self-defense classes and he started doing some martial arts. Not so much that he could beat up anybody who came across who was giving him a hard time, but that he would feel more confident in standing his ground, which I believe is a very scriptural thing to do. As far as people homeschooling because someone's being bullied, if that's what gets someone to get their child out of the public school, I'd say, oh, yeah, great. Let's go with that. Right. Because when it comes right down to it, the public school isn't a good place for anybody to be in our estimation. So if that's a reason, it won't be the sustaining reason. But as far as I'm concerned, it's not a bad reason. Okay. Okay. But just moving the child from the public school or to the uh, private school or to the homeschool because of bullying still doesn't address, it, it may, it may uh, remove them from the environment, but it doesn't address the problem of the oppressor and how to deal with that. And that's true. But let's not um, go into some sort of um, fantasy world that says you can go anywhere nowadays and you're not going to encounter an oppressor. So as we've maintained, if you want to arm your children, like what we did with my son and giving him some self-defense training, but that wasn't the totality of how we armed him. We armed him in terms of God's word. Remember, the book of Ephesians talks about the sword of the spirit, and the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So first and foremost, we have to help people maneuver through what does it mean to love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And what does it mean to love your enemy? Unfortunately, today, as with that teacher who said, oh, let's just love each other. Mm -hmm. She was talking about an emotional response. Let me have good feelings towards this person. But that's not what loving your neighbor means. And that's not what loving your enemy means. So how would you, how would you, have, if you were that teacher, how would you have um, instructed these two little boys? Okay. Well, first of all, context is everything. So this teacher was working out of her world and life view. That's why over the years, I've always been very careful as to who I place in authority over my children, whether it's a babysitter or someone who they're taking a class from or some instruction, because there's going to be a transmission of a world and life view. But if we go to the scripture, what it means to love our neighbor and what it means to love our enemy is to treat them the way we would want to be treated. In other words, God's law has been given so that we know how to relate to God, the first great commandment, and we know how to relate to other people, the second great commandment. But the second great commandment doesn't work if you think loving your neighbor as yourself is some sort of emotionalism. It means... Don't steal from him. Don't injure or murder him. Don't slander him. Don't take his stuff. Uh, don't covet his stuff. And don't try to destroy his family. In the bullying situation, you clearly have someone who is treating others not the way 
he or she would want to be treated themselves because nobody wants to be injured, stolen from, slandered, or have somebody come in and destroy their family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It really, really, uh, you're really bringing home an important point, and that is that we always, always, always have to go back to the Word of God and know what God says about these things. Otherwise, we won't recognize the oppressor and we won't recognize when we are truly oppressed, if it's all just about how we feel about something or somebody else feel, feels about something. Right. And so you talked about the whole concept of changing the environment. Well, first of all, if you have a dog that is chewing on your leg, it may not be a bad idea to not be where that dog is so that dog doesn't continue to chew on your leg. Okay. So sometimes the context and the circumstance is an oppressive one. Mm -hmm. And this is why, if people want to know why is bullying so rampant in public schools, it's because the public school is a bullying institution. It bullies parents. It bullies children. If you decide, if you decide that for this week we're not going to go to school, you're going to get a call. And you're going to be threatened with your child being truant. Mm -hmm. If you don't agree with their vaccination schedule, you might be told, well, if you don't do this, we might have social services coming out. That's bullying. How about the recent things where they're having sexuality classes in the school? And it used to be that parents could opt out, but no longer. You can't opt out. We are going to give your children this information. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the valedictorian speeches, whereby the person who gets the highest grade gets to give the speech. And God forbid she says things like, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Her microphone will be cut. Doesn't this sound like bullying? Doesn't it sound mm -hmm. like what can you do about it? We are going to infringe on your ability to do the things that God has told you to do. So it doesn't ever surprise me that there's a lot of bullying going on because it's an institution that encourages it. And let me say this to parents who might be listening, whose child is in public school and is not being bullied. Maybe your child is learning how to be a bully. Do you really want that to be the world in life view that's being transmitted? Mm -hmm. So bullying being a, being the oppressor. That's, that's big. That's big. You, <laughs> yeah. you know, we got to wrap our mind around this because ev the whole structure says, put your kid in school. That's all we know. And we don't realize how much freedom we actually have in Christ, how much freedom the Lord actually um, gives us and the responsibility, not so much our rights, but our responsibility before the Lord. And when we're not permitted to walk in that way, we are being oppressed. Yes. And you see, there can't be two ultimate authorities. Either God, the Trinitarian God of the Bible, is sovereign, or the state will be sovereign. And the struggle we face right now is that the state says it's sovereign. Mm -hmm. 
So the question is, do we go along to get along? Let's just all get along. Or do we stand for God's truth? I mean, think about cases in scripture. Elijah was bullied by Ahab and Jezebel. The three men who wouldn't bow down to the statue, they were bullied. How about the apostles when they were sharing about Jesus Christ and they were arrested and seized and beat up and told, don't you do that anymore? You know, isn't that bullying? See, unfortunately in our culture, and this is Christian culture in general, we are euphemism happy. Instead of identifying things the way the Bible does, we give them other names. So a person who is being unfaithful in the covenant of marriage, the Bible calls that person an adulterer, committing adultery. But we say he or she is having an affair. An affair. An affair. That's that nice word. You know, I'm going to have an affair and have a couple of people over, you know, instead of the Bible who that identifies certain behaviors and the people who do them as homosexuals or sodomites. Mm-hmm. We call them queer. We, we called them queer at first. Then we call them gay. Mm-hmm. And now we have an acronym that basically says what they are. See, okay. this is a euphemism. This is so that we take the stigma out of sin. Right. And if we take the stigma out of sin and we fail to identify sin as sin, then we also lose the biblical um, uh, restitution, the repentance and, and healing that, that is made possible because of, because of Christ. Right. God gave Adam and Eve the dominion mandate, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It was mm-hmm. repeated to Noah And in a very real sense, it was repeated in the form of the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. Dominion is what we're called to do. What fallen man specializes in is domination. Mm. I want what I want, and I'm going to get it any way I can. And so I will, by our modern terms, bully you. But in biblical terms, I will oppress you. Okay, so bullying is oppression and it is domination and that in in the human sense lording over rather than the biblical approach of um, dominion, tending and keeping and obeying God and walking in his ways. So this is this is we this is a a representation of the two separate different worldviews that is colliding rather than just this bad kid who's not getting his way. Right. And what starts off small gets bigger. Mm -hmm. I often tell women I'm counseling, if in fact you have a rule that they can't go into the refrigerator and take whatever they want to eat, and you don't enforce that, what happens when they're old enough and now they're going to take the car keys and they're going to go drive the car without your permission or your credit card or whatever it is? That's why the formative years, as we call them, are so important because that's where a world in life view is instilled. Even if when they're older, they deviate, there's still the grounding there that says, 
I'm going to keep myself in check because right and wrong have been taught to me. Well, unfortunately, if your child is in a public school, there are all sorts of things that the Bible says that they're going to be told is wrong. And the way to get around it is let's just not allow the Bible to be used at all. You see, if we actually let people read the Bible, then they might read it. And, and if they've learned how to read well, they might understand it. So let's just act like it doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's throughout a lot of our media. Tragedies happen, important decisions. You never see people calling on the name of the Lord. Is that because no one ever does? No, it's because they don't show the competition. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I... Um... I kept wanted to keep in mind as I was raising my children and, and often encourage young moms to do is to think about these things in terms of what they look like now, right now, it might look like bullying a kid um, on the playground or taking somebody else's crayons. But what happens as that child grows and those infractions increase and pile on then and it and it ex- escalates. So now you know you you have had your crayons snatched just one too many times, and without learning how to deal with that, whether it is the one that's oppressed or the or the oppressor, then they come to school with a gun, right? So talk to me about um, other than. Um, learning um, self-defense, which I do, I definitely think there's a place for that. Biblically, there's a place for self-defense and learning to defend yourself and others. But is there another way or means that we should be handling that? I'm thinking like in terms of Matthew 18, we make Matthew 18 a big structural thing does it have to be would it be appropriate to say to my children um, use your words and talk to your brother help him obey before it escalates is that an appropriate use of Matthew 18 okay interestingly enough we have a question that showed up on the feed that says how do you disciple a child's heart who's dealing with a bully how do you equip them to have a humble heart and yet be confident how do i help my kids not become my rights police mm-hmm. okay so it's it's basically the same thing that you just said all right yeah. let us not try to solve problems that the bible identifies in a context where the Bible is not being followed or revered. So I would have to say to somebody who wants to solve the bullying problem with their third grade student in the local grammar school, good luck. Because you're going to go in and say, this is wrong because the second great commandment says this and God's law says this. And if the person even is familiar with what you're talking about, you're going to hear blah, 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 blah. In other words, That's not how we do things here. Okay. Let's take another example. And I really will get back to Shelby's question. Currently, if somebody who was born male now identifies as female and you as a teacher do not use the preferred pronoun, you will be disciplined. That is bullying. 
that is oppression. Let's not try to figure out how we can make this work. How we make this work is that we're the people that say, thus saith the Lord, I'm not going to abide by this. And so the child who is being bullied, right? First of all, you need to identify for the child that these tendencies aren't all that far from you either. You too were born a sinner. And so given the opportunity, it's very likely that if somebody's bothering you and you're bigger or stronger or more influential, you'll do the same thing. And so it's an opportunity to talk about the sin in our hearts. Mm -hmm. But as a parent, I'm not sure that the best thing to do is to equip our children how to get beat up well. Going back to my analogy of the dog that's biting your leg, do you really want to get good at having a dog bite your leg? Or do you want to deal with a society or help create a society that um, says, no, this isn't appropriate and your dog has bit my leg and these are the laws of biblical restitution. And oh, by the way, if your dog has done this before, God's word says this. See, we suffer because not that God's law word doesn't work is we don't use it. And, and we, we don't have know generations it. who aren't using it. Yeah. And, and we don't know it. And there's too many churches that think that is um, old Testament. It's obsolete and it doesn't matter anymore. Well, we know that's not true, but we do have to return to the family and to self and to govern ourselves under the law of God so that we can begin to learn and think and behave appropriately and disciple others to do the same. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. What were those commandments? You see, exactly. we, we have this big disconnect. So, so these conversations are really important because it does teach us how to very, very practically apply God's word in every area of our life. So, yeah, let me add this since there are many opportunities to see bullying okay. in practice societally. So, Two homosexuals go into a bakery. There are only hundreds of bakeries they could go to, but they go to the Christian baker and they say they want a wedding cake because they're getting married. And he says, um, no, I can sell you just a cake if you want a cake, but no, I cannot decorate your cake to celebrate something I don't believe in. That man spent five years and lots of money to have his case go before the Supreme Court. Is that not bullying? I saw yesterday that the CEO of Twitter went to Chick-fil-A and people were down on him because he went to Chick-fil-A and he apologized. The CEO of Twitter was successfully bullied. How come he didn't respond and say, I'll eat where I want to eat? Thank you very much. I got good chicken sandwiches. Right. <laughs> and a good service and smiling employees. So why can't I go there if I want to? So the people who clamor that Christians are intolerant, first of all, don't realize that Christians are the most loving and caring if they're being faithful to the word of God, because they don't want to see anybody perish. So the right. ultimate in loving your neighbor and loving your enemy is to share with them the truth that if you keep going on this path, Eternity isn't going to be a pleasant experience for you. Right, right. And the idea that um, if we are in, we're not um, bullying them, 
It's not bullying them when we say, friend, that is that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the, the end is death. It's not bullying when I say that to somebody. Right. But see, if we talk about hate speech, um, I had an interesting conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago with an attorney who made the observation that the Bible says God knows man's hearts. But you see, currently the state says we know men's hearts because we're going to identify certain things as hate crimes. You see, we now know your heart. We know that the reason you did this or that was because you didn't like the color of the skin or you didn't like certain orientations or whatever it is, right? That's not what God calls the civil realm to do. And so we have all these situations where we become used to oppression. And so we have adapted this mindset that says, let's not rock the boat. And let me add all the sexual abuse situations that are coming to light in the church in the world, in Hollywood, in athletics, whatever it is, those are systematized bullying where oppression is happening. And oftentimes the victims of such oppressors are not even familiar with the tactics, the strategies, and the fact that, no, this is not appropriate. So mm -hmm. if we want to arm our children, yeah, learn, them, learn how to duck a punch. So that's where the self-defense is good. Learn how that you might be called to defend others who are being oppressed, in which case it would be good to know how to diffuse a situation. But most importantly, know God's word so you can differentiate between, is this something that I need to do something about now? Or is it something that um, I need to go get help for? And then ultimately, and let's not ever discount the fact that our prayer life as Christians, if you read the book of Psalms, David is constantly asking the Lord to help deal with his oppressors, help deal with the wicked. Mm -hmm. But let's not forget that God has given us his word. So we don't say, okay, God, I don't want to read what you said. I don't want to apply it. Just help me now. Well, no, he can help us now but he also calls us to be faithful stewards of his word and to use it appropriately. Exactly. Yeah. So did so, you answer your caller's question? I think so. I hope so. Okay. <coughs> she can add another question. See, if we focus on duties as opposed to rights, if we say, well, you know what? I have the right to be safe in this environment. I have the right to not have somebody take my lunch money. I have the right to have someone not make fun of my appearance or whatever it is. Really and truly, what God calls us to are duties. And shame on the parents who allow their children to remain in oppressive situations. Mm. Shame on the pastors who allow their congregants to be manipulated and used by people who are oppressors and shame on the civil realm when we have elevated things that are contrary to God's word and we now protect those things as opposed to living in terms of God's word. Mm. And did we say shame on us when we don't know God's word sufficiently to recognize oppression that we've become so accustomed to it that we don't even know to call it sin. Right. 
Okay, so the question is that's now been put on the feed says, I'm interested in how if Matthew 18 might apply to conflicts between children. Again, let's talk about the conflicts. Sometimes those conflicts are parent-induced. So you invite children over to your, your house to play, and now those children have a world and life view that says your toys are my toys. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to take your toys. Oh, and I broke your toy. How many parents will say, stop crying, Johnny. It's just a toy. Yeah. Wait a minute. That toy belonged to Johnny. Does his, his um, play date friend have a right to destroy it? And what happens if he does? See, now we're right back to the law of God. Mm-hmm. We need to teach our children that when you're touching other people's stuff and you break it, that we'll be responsible. So maybe we ask before we touch it, or maybe before the kids come over, anything you don't want to have be a common toy gets put away. We're dealing with them in terms of their duties and their responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times parents can diffuse situations before they happen without enforced sharing, um, enforced go say you're sorry. I mean, if there's anything that gets my hair to stand on end is telling a child who's obviously not sorry to go tell someone else he's sorry. Right. And as we've talked before, who cares that he's sorry? What we really want him to do is acknowledge his wrongdoing mm-hmm. and then say, I'm not going to do it again. And they yeah, have, to be, nonsense. They have right. to be turned around. Their thinking has to be turned, not just that they're sorry or that they won't. They, they promise not to do it again, but that they understand that their thinking has to change and they have to put it right. That de- then repentance didn't happen if they're not willing to put it right. Okay. So Matthew 18 is really all about, there's a conflict with people and it's not working out. Now the Lord's prayer tells us to forgive each other's trespasses. Those trespasses are not murder. They're not, you know, grand theft. They're not assault and battery. These are the trespasses of people living together. These are the trespasses of a brother and sister competing for the same chair. And and how do they resolve those things? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we have to make sure our children understand that sin's going to manifest in them and in others. And that in order to combat that effectively, we have to apply a standard that exists outside of ourselves. That means that individual Christians have to be good at sorting this through. And a Matthew 18 situation, from my point of view, isn't to have someone tell who's right and who's wrong. That's not what Matthew 18 is about. Matthew 18 is to try to have a third person try to help these other two people get back on the playing field that says, Let's do what's right in terms of God's eyes. Let's do what's right in terms of God's law, as opposed to, okay, let's go and have this person say, I'm right and you're wrong, Mm -hmm. because that's not the focus of it. The focus is always restoration, reconciliation. So as a parent, there are times where you have two kids fighting. You listen to one, you listen to the other, and your instruction is, I want you both go to settle this, not with hitting each other. Right. And I want to come back and hear. I want you to tell me when you come back how you settled it. Mm-hmm. In other words, let's get them good in the home, which is the first school, the first church, the first workplace, the first everything. Let them learn how to deal with their brothers and sisters. And a passage in Romans that I love to highlight is outdo one another in showing honor. 
So that means brother has to outdo his sister in showing her honor. And her goal is to outdo him. Mm-hmm. Well, after a while, the my rights, my rights, this is mine. This is your, if you're applying the idea of outdoing one another and showing honor, that's good. Now, don't take this to mean that when you're in a situation where somebody is punching you around or whatever, you're to outdo them and showing honor and going, oh, yes, Okay, you only got the right side of my face. Let's get the left side of my face. Oh, and by the way, you want to look in my backpack and see all the stuff mm-hmm. I have? Mm-hmm. No, that's not that situation. Paul is addressing how the body of Christ deals with each other. Part of the problem with having children in an environment that doesn't acknowledge God's word is that that bully at best is going to get a slap on the hand yeah. and the first opportunity he has is to come back and do it again. So they don't remove the bully. What usually happens is parents remove their children. And then guess who rules in the schools? The bully. Bully. Now, some people will say that's why Christians need to keep their children in the school. Because if all the the Christians leave, look what will be left. Well, that's what's there anyway. Maybe it'll close down. Maybe... After a while, if all those who truly believe God's word and desire to be obedient left, then you might have a move in this country that says, I'm tired of my tax dollars going to support something not only I don't use, but I think is awful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we're right. a ways away from that because we still have so many Christians matriculating at the institution that has as its main purpose at its foundation was to destroy allegiance to the word of God. So we need to return our allegiance to the, to the word of God, teach our children to the word of God and uh, allegiance to that. And that Matthew 18 is not um, necessarily something that has to go to a church um, authority structure to, to do, but it's as simple as helping our children, uh, teaching our children to help one another obey the word of God with each other before even they have to come get a parent to help them. Right. Now it's going to be done imperfectly and there's going to be yells and screams, but that again is why it's so important for mothers, especially to spend your children's growing up years with you rather than with the paid babysitter or nanny who quite frankly is really getting paid just to make sure they don't kill each other They're not kidnapped and they don't hurt each other Mm -hmm. or hurt themselves, Mm -hmm. but they're not instilling in them being faithful to God because quite frankly, the best babysitter or nanny doesn't have the same investment or charge that God's word gives to parents. Right. Well, Andrea, it looks like we are finished our 30 minutes, but I want to just say one more thing. And that is if, If there's moms listening who really don't know what we're talking about in terms of God's law, how do we learn that? Um, I know that you have um, some tools at Calcedon that can help them do that. Would you like to talk about the Teacher Training Institute right quick before we get off? Sure. And I love the way you say right quick. That's a very (laughs) Southern thing to say, right quick. Um, Anyway, yes, I have a ongoing series of courses. Some I do in group settings, some I do individually, and some are self-study at the Calcedon Teacher Training Institute. Um, You can find that either at ctti.org 
or calcedonteachertraininginstitute.com. And it's an extensive study, but it's a guided study through the Institutes of Biblical Law by Dr. R.J. Rushdooney, where he goes into each commandment and its application. Um, I have taken many women through this course. As a matter of fact, there's one group that we started in November of 2014, and we have seven more weeks before we're actually done with the entire book. And I have seen these ladies grow immensely in terms of dealing with their family, in terms of dealing with their children and their education, and things that were, quite frankly, they say, my thinking has been reoriented for so long. The things I elevated as true, I've discovered were actually contrary to God's law. For those of you who are readers, you can read the book, The Institutes of Biblical Law. And a lot of what I do um, is my husband and I have regular devotionals before we he starts his day. He goes off and does his thing and I do mine. And uh, we've been going through Rush Dooney's Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 3, which is subtitled The Intent of the Law. And it's a tremendous book in grouping various things together so that if you're interested in understanding about how to deal with restitution or the the uh, biblical guidelines in terms of um, how to deal with oppressors or the wicked, it's all there together. Now, normally you would want somebody to do volume one before volume three, but I think it could be standalone and it would probably whet your appetite to actually then delve into volume one. Right, right. And if somebody is not quite ready to do that, maybe they just need a little introduction of why this is even important. Where do they go find that information? Okay, there, the, the introduction to Institutes of Biblical, Biblical Law Volume 1 has been put into a little pamphlet called Faith and Obedience. And I used to tell people that if there was anything of Rush Judy's you should read and you only had time for a small snippet, that's what you could do. And that's also available to be read online at Calcedon or it's available for purchase. And I can't stress enough that confidence and certainty come from knowing you're doing what God says to do. And that's why it's so important to be grounded yourself and to make the focus of your homeschool, not academics solely, because if you just have academics, then you might have smart pagans or smart heathens. That's not what we're trying to produce. We're trying to produce people who are godly in their orientation, their understanding, and their practice in life. Very good. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us and for us, Andrea. We'll be looking forward to next week. Yes, which I think we have a really good topic next week. So everybody can uh, tune in and see what that's about. All right. Very good. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.